Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this Relic Reveal. New episode, new saint, just for you. This one is great. Who's our new saint? Pope John Paul the Great. Oh, and we are back with our good friend, Carol Wojtyla, also known as Pope John Paul II, also known as Saint John Paul the Great. Brothers and sisters, I could not be more excited. We are getting a relic, first class of Saint JP2. I love this man. He was the Pope for my entire young life, not until he died in 2005. This man is one of the main reasons why I am Roman Catholic today. JP2, I love you, and we are getting his relic here at the Our Lady of the Angels Chapel. So let's talk a little bit about Pope John Paul's life. He was born 100 years ago, May 18th, just a few days shy of my birthday on May 25th. Now that you know that, you owe me a present. On May 18th, 1920, he was born. His father was a Roman Catholic. His mother was Greek Orthodox. He grew up in a town of uh, about 8,000 people, where 2,000 of them were Jews, the rest mostly Catholics. And he saw in this unique situation in his town of Wadowice in Poland, there could be a real and living dialogue between the Orthodox Catholics and Jews. And he carried that with him throughout his entire life. He was the first pope to ever enter a synagogue, right? That is awesome. He entered the synagogue of Rome. He uh, was in really good relationships with the chief, chief rabbi of Rome. Uh, he did a lot of work with the Eastern patriarchs, but it was Pope John Paul II who labored tirelessly uh, to try to unite the East and the West. He also was a great figure in interreligious dialogue. There's a lot of conflict and misunderstanding about interreligious dialogue. People think it means, oh, all religions are the same. No, it doesn't. It means if I can respect you as a human person, right, and whatever your beliefs may be, it's not that I think, oh, all beliefs are the same. That was not what JP2 taught. But he did teach that we can find peace and we, to work, we can work together towards justice if we have a mutual respect rooted in our personal dignity. Now, that word, person, is the most important word in Pope John Paul's view of the universe. Because first, it's Trinitarian. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are the three persons of the divine trinity. The second person, Jesus Christ, right? The, the eternal Son of God took on flesh from the Virgin Mary and became Jesus Christ, entered into our world. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the second person of the trinity through the incarnation, inaugurated this wonderful thing called Christianity. But what is the human person? Well, see, everything around JP2's philosophy and theology revolves around what we could say is personalism, right? The view of the dignity, the insurpassable dignity of each and every human person, irrevocable, unsurpassable, every human person has dignity. This is what led Pope John Paul to fight against the communists that had invaded his native Poland, to fight the Nazis who had invaded his Poland before the commies, right? Because what they did was in their totalitarian regimes, whether it was socialists under the Nazis or collectivists under the communists, what they did was they dehumanized the person. Obviously, the Nazis, right, in dehumanizing certain persons, sought to destroy them. You dehumanize the vulnerable. The communists reduced every person to just a number. And in so doing, 
squashed personal dignity as a matter of daily operations at the state. That's what Pope John Paul was so powerful in fighting against when it came to the communists, because they viewed not the dignity of the human person, but they only regarded the collective and the individual human person was constantly getting lost. So in an age that maybe people my age, maybe a little bit younger, we have such a terrible memory about what happened just one generation before us. The whole world was overcome in totalitarian regimes in the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, 1950s. We forget sometimes, right, that the milieu, the environment that Pope John Paul uh, was so active in was one where the world was almost divided in half, like pro-American or pro-USSR regimes. And so he was tireless in advocating for the dignity of every human person. You will find this in his writings. No pope wrote more than Pope John Paul II. And here's the amazing thing. If you are someone who's like read the documents of Vatican II or you heard about the documents of Vatican II, and maybe you're like, wow, some people seem to think the Vatican II was terrible. Some people seem to think it was amazing. What do I need to think about it? This man right here, you want to read his writings. He gives us the magisterial interpretation of Vatican II in so many different ways. Why? Because as Pope, he saw it as his goal and mission to correctly interpret and implement the documents of Vatican II. So if you want to understand about the missionary nature of the church as it relates to worldwide religions, you read Redemptoris Missio. If you want to understand the church's uh, dealing with social issues and labor and all this stuff, you read Centesimus Anus. If you want to understand the moral, now this is my favorite encyclical. If you want to understand the church's moral uh, moral theology, you read Veritati Splendor, The Splendor of Truth. It is a difficult and complicated read. It involves a lot of fever pitch arguments that were happening at the time, consequentialists, utilitarians, proportionists, all this stuff going on. He lays out a clear and consistent teaching in union with the churches from 2,000 years, but also taking up the new insights of Vatican II. If you want to understand the church's teaching on life issues in particular, you read Evangelium Vitae, the gospel of life, and he will go through things like abortion and euthanasia and give you not just the what the church teaches, but the even deeper, even bigger why the church teaches them. And let me give you a hint. It all has to do with the insurpassable dignity of the human person. Every human person, no matter how small or how aged, infirm, sick, or whatever, has dignity that cannot be destroyed. And starting from that perspective, imagine this Pope who is born in a free Poland, right? He is in his 20s when the Nazis enter in. He's an actor, he's a, uh, a an author, he's an athlete, and he's also very, very, very devout in his Catholic faith. He's borderline an orphan by this point. His siblings, his older siblings would die very young. His mother died when he was very young. Um, his father would die when he was a young adult. And so Pope John Paul, I mean, he lived an intense life of suffering. But when he was in these Nazi forced labor areas and doing all this stuff, um, he studied clandestinely to be a priest. Eventually, the communists would kick out the Nazis. And he had to keep that clandestine seminary going. He would be ordained a priest, and he would tirelessly devote himself to the youth. Now, for him, the youth is what it means for Europeans, not Americans. For us, youth means high school students. For him, youth meant like maybe 16 at the youngest, 
right? So it's more like the 20-somethings, maybe mid-30s. That was young people, right? And so he's doing all this ministry with what we would call young adults. And he would go camping. He would go kayaking. He would go hiking. He would do all these physical things out in the wilderness with each other. In fact, one of my favorite stories. So he eventually becomes bishop, archbishop, and then a cardinal. And while he's a cardinal, there were only two cardinals in the nation of Poland. He loved to go cross-country skiing. So he's out by himself, getting away from all the din of the city, and he's just skiing and skiing, and he skis over the border into old Czechoslovakia, and he gets arrested, and he says, they're they're interrogating him, and they don't believe him when he tells them, I'm the cardinal, (laughs) and they don't believe him. They don't believe him at all. So they call and call. He's detained for hours and hours. Finally, they find out who he is. And one of the guards was in utter disbelief, and he said, how many cardinals are cross-country skiers? And he goes, actually, about half. Well, he was one of two cardinals. So he was always known for his sense of humor, but more than that, his personalism as a philosophy wove itself into how he treated other human beings. People would often say that when you were in the room with him, you no longer felt insignificant. A lot of people were intimidated, as you can imagine, speaking to the Pope. He was really famous. He brought down communism, did all this wonderful stuff. But, I mean, you could just there's just a natural air of intimidation, like, oh, gosh, I'm going to sit and have a private meeting with the Pope. But they said that lasted for about three seconds. And then who he was and who you were as a human person was all that mattered. He was on Voitia standard time, people used to say. He devoted all the time that he needed to be with you and to make you feel like you mattered to God. How incredible is that? When he came out in Denver for World Youth Day, people said it couldn't be done. It was an amazing celebration. St. Louis, New York, all of this stuff. He started World Youth Day, World Meeting of Families. Why? Because there was a narrative that was out there that the youth don't care for God. And he proved them wrong because the world's largest gatherings are all World Youth Days. And the beautiful movement that he created was begun, you could say in, in in one sense, was begun in a Polish communist worker town called Noahota. And there in that town, it was built as a worker's paradise, meaning it was nothing but concrete, brutalist architecture. It was very terrible, and there was no church. And he wanted to build a church in that town. The workers wanted a church in that town. So he stood there in front of, it was the first time he was invited back by the Politburo there in Poland. He's standing in front of all these atheistic communists in front of a crowd, and they're all screaming and chanting, we want God. We want God. He was a polarizing figure, not because he was divisive in his personality, but because you knew that when you were in his presence, you had to make a decision. You had to choose to follow Christ or to walk away. And so many people who were on the outside of Christian faith encountered JP2. They they would describe moments of, it felt like a blanket of peace had settled over the place. That's what Pope John Paul brought. And the only reason why he was able to bring that, I'm going to give you the key to his success. It was constant piety. It was his reverence before the Eucharist. Pope John Paul II, the most traveled pope at that time and still, went on, what was it, like over a hundred apostolic adventures, Jay? That sounds right to me. 
But everyone said when they encountered him, they encountered Christ. And the reason is he would be like driving down the street, going to a venue in New York City. He would see a Catholic chapel and he would ask them to pull over. And all of his people that were like his attaches would roll their eyes and grumble because they knew, oh, no, for the next 30 minutes, he's going to be in adoration. He's going to be worshiping God in silent prayer. And the whole schedule just got thrown out of whack. But no one was busier than Pope John Paul II. But he made weekly, if not daily, confession a priority, daily mass, adoration, all of the things that make men and women saints. Even though he was far busier than you or I will ever be, he made time for God. I remember the first time I ever saw JP2 with my own eyes. I was a freshman in college. He had done. Uh, he had just flown to Toronto, and I was there with St. Anthony's Youth Group for World Youth Day. And I'll never forget the words that he said at night at his first address. You are not the sum of your weaknesses and failures, but rather you are the sum of the Father's love and your real capacity to become children of God in Jesus. Think about those words. You are not the sum of your weaknesses and failures, but rather you are your most core identity. You are the sum of the Father's love. Just recovering that understanding can bring peace and liberty into your heart because you know that the Father's love in its fullest expression is Jesus Christ on the cross, whispering your name, calling out to you. The greatest love that has ever been revealed of the Father for us is Jesus Christ. And Pope John Paul never, ever grew tired of calling us back to Jesus, calling us back to conversion, calling us back to the heart of our Catholic Christian faith, which is surrender and union with Jesus Christ. So inspired by the example of Saint John Paul the Great, let us brothers and sisters put aside all the annoying, you know, uh, concerns, anxieties, cares, doubts, fears, worries that we have. And like him, let's actually preach the gospel out on the streets and public places like the first apostles, because that's how the old evangelization started. And that's how the new evangelization is going to continue. Brothers and sisters, let's be inspired by JP too. Let's reverence his relic, but more so than that, through the relic, let us reverence the God who gifted our church with Saint John Paul the Great. This has been our relic reveal. Stay tuned next week. We got a doozy for you. I I mean, it's incredible. We're actually going to top this. I don't know how you top this, but we're going to top this next week. It's going to be amazing. Stay tuned as our Relic Reveal pilgrimage continues all the way to the groundbreaking of Our Lady of the Angels Chapel. God bless.